and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. You can take your Bibles and go to John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5. The Gospel of John portrays Jesus Christ as the Son of God. There's a reason why there are four Gospels, even though they cover essentially, um, for the most part, the same overall story and and many times the same individual records. Um, John less than the other three as far as covering the same records. Each one shows Jesus Christ from a different aspect of his life and ministry. Matthew shows Jesus Christ as the king. Mark shows him as the servant. Luke shows him as the man. And John shows him as the son of God. And even when covering the same events, those different aspects of his ministry are focused on in those particular Gospels more than they are in other ones. So, for example, the word king is used far more in the Gospel of Matthew than it is in the Gospel of Luke, although many times it is covering similar or the same records. John shows Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and part of what Jesus Christ was here to do in his earthly ministry was to make known who God was, who he was. Because although people knew of God, they really didn't know him. They didn't really know who he was. And here we are a couple of thousand years later, and although Jesus Christ did a really good job of making known who he was, still today so many people don't really know who God is. They still don't understand God. They still don't really catch his heart. They still don't really understand the love of a loving father. And they don't recognize that Christianity is not a religion, but Christianity is the way of a father with his family. That's the heart of it. That's the essence of Christianity. True Christianity is the way of a father with his family. God is our father. And that Father God desired one thing, one thing, a family to share his love with. That was his heart's yearning through the ages. And everything that he made, all of creation, all of the universe, everything on earth was made for man with the intent that man would become a child of God and have that fellowship with him. That's why he did it. He didn't do it just so, you know, we could explore strange new worlds and boldly go where no man has gone before. He made all of this so that we could have fellowship with him. Jesus Christ made known that kind of father to people. And in John chapter 5, there's a wonderful, a couple of different wonderful records where you see the words and works of Jesus Christ. First, we're going to focus on a record that shows 
his great works and how he walked with the power of God. And in that power of God that he demonstrated, even with that, the miracles that he did, they were for the purpose of bringing God's healing, his deliverance, his benefits to mankind. It wasn't just to impress people. It wasn't to do magic acts. It wasn't just to say, hey, look what I can do. But rather, it was to take care of people. We begin in verse 1 of John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In this lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, and there ought to be a period there instead of a comma, and you can scratch out the rest of that verse, the words waiting for the moving of the water, and you can scratch out all of verse 4. And if you have a version other than the King James Version, it's already done for you. It's actually kind of funny. Some versions, it just jumps. The numbering of the verses just jump from 3 to 5. And if you didn't know what was going on, you'd like, oh, they forgot a verse here. They didn't forget a verse. Somebody, a scribe, decided he was going to add a verse here. Um, <clears throat> you can get a fuller explanation of this in, in my soon-to-be-released book, um, The Bible Through the Ages. But when it came to copying the Word of God, you know, starting with the original God-breathed Word, the originals and the original languages of Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Has that, has that Word of God, has the Bible, has became known, was, was passed down, they made copies of it. And the scribes would do that, and they would work very long hours doing this, and oftentimes less than ideal conditions. There's a couple of different ways they did it, and I won't get into all of that. I'll just explain the one that's common here. <clears throat> They would work from an already existing copy to make a new copy, right? And sometimes there were different mistakes that happened unintentionally. There were also occasions when something was done deliberately, but most of the mistakes that happened were done unintentionally. So that a scribe writing one line of text might, for example, leave out a word just because he was going from one page to another in his writing. Sometimes they'd repeat a word. Sometimes they'd repeat a whole line. Did you ever do that when you're copying something? Well, these were common mistakes that were made. And if they went through the whole thing and didn't catch it until the end, rather than start all over again, one of the things they would do is they'd make a note in the margin to indicate that something got left out or Perhaps something was added, and they'd note that. But where it becomes tricky is if they forgot something and added it in a note in the margin, because at other times, other scribes would put in the margins notes that they thought helped explain a difficult passage, especially if that translation was a difficult one to translate. This particular instance is one where an explanatory note that somebody added in the margin 
that being the last part of verse 3, and all of verse 4, some scribe thought that he should explain why these waters were troubled and how that all came about, and he had his own idea of how all that happened, and he wrote that in the margin. A later scribe comes along and thinks that that's a note put in there because something got missed and adds it into the actual body of the text. You follow that? Yeah. That's how that one got in there. Okay, And... <clears throat> There's a lot of different unintentional errors that come about, but for all the errors that come about, don't get shook here that thinking that, well, how can we trust this book? Most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, are not of this nature. They are simply of the nature of a word changed in order, a spelling not quite right, something like that. No particular Bible, not the King James Version, not the New International Version or the English Standard Version or any particular version can be considered the Word of God with the capital W, capital O, capital R, capital D. won't spell the whole thing out. These are all versions taken from those originals and then copied down through the years. And yet, it's possible for, get, for us to get back to what the original God-breathed word said. How? Well, by comparing text with text, by comparing all these different texts and seeing where they agree. And in this case, you're able to trace it back and see where the error first crept in. And this is the work of what's called textual critics, who are biblical scholars who study to endeavor to get back to the original. And yet, we're not just limited even to the work of textual critics when it comes to this. We can, for ourselves, go and look at different versions, and we can go and look at critical Greek text for ourselves and really examine all these things to get, arrive at what the God-breathed word said. All of that sounds like a lot of work, and it is. Most of God's Word, the overwhelming majority of God's Word, can be understood right where it's written. 85% of God's Word, 85-90% of God's Word, is understood right where it's written. And then there's other keys to the Word's interpretation that we apply to understand God's Word and to get back to the original, such as in the context where it's been used before, some of these other keys. But I wanted to just point this one out as we're looking at it, so you had a little bit of an understanding of why if I tell you, well, that's not in the text, why I can say that, and that I'm not just pulling your leg here, you can go and check this stuff out. So we've got this fella who is by the pool at Bethesda, verse 5. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 38 years, long time. 38 years, this guy has this illness. 38 years, this guy has this problem that he can't walk. That's a long time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, I was laid up for six months once, not being able to walk, and gosh, that seemed like an eternity. 38 years, 38 years this guy has this going on. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, 
Wilt thou be made whole? That's the question Jesus Christ has. It says Jesus Christ knew that he'd been that way for a long time. Is that because Jesus Christ came by every day for 38 years and saw the guy there? No. He knew that by revelation, that God showed him that. And he has one question for the man. After all this time, do you still have the will to be made whole? You know, it takes a lot of willpower when you have something for a long time to still want to be healed. It takes a lot of willpower to make changes when you've had some situation that's gone on for a very long time. Most people don't. Most people, they lose that will. They, they just give up. They just give up on ever seeing the need met. They just give up on ever seeing the deliverance. Jesus Christ asked the man, do you will? Because if anything's going to happen here, the man has to will it. Jesus Christ can't force healing on him. You can't force somebody to believe. He has to want it. He has to want the healing, he has to want the wholeness, and he has to believe for it to happen. So Jesus Christ poses that question. Verse 7, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but when I am coming, another steppeth down before me. You know, I, well, the reason I've been here this long is everybody keeps beating me to the punch here, and I, I can't get to the water, and that's kind of where my believing's at. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. The guy didn't have to get to the water. The guy didn't need somebody to carry him to the water. Jesus Christ said, You want it? It's yours. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. There is the promise of God. And all that the man had to do to claim the promise was to act on it. Jesus Christ said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. It's that simple. In another situation, there was a man who had a withered hand, and he said to that man, stretch forth thine hand. And it was that simple. People expect for a miracle to happen that, boy, you need a whole big MGM show. You know, you need a whole special effects and, you know, call in all the Hollywood people and, you know, do a big deal. But that's not what's needed. There's not some you know, booming voice from heaven that's needed or anything else. It's just acting on the promise, acting on the promise. Verse 9, And immediately the man was made whole, and he took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Now, that's the point, if we were making a movie, you'd cue that you know, music that went dun-dun-dun because that means something. That's like, oh, on the Sabbath, this was a big deal because this happened on the Sabbath. Why? It seems like that would be a good day for things to happen that are godly, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The Sabbath was a day to honor the Father, honor God. This should be a good time for healing to take place. And Jesus Christ thought it was a good time for healing to take place, but not everybody saw it that way. Verse 12. Then, oh, I skipped a Verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. <laughs> they should be excited for the guy, right? They should be rejoicing. 
Holy smokes, you've been here for 38 years. 38 years every day I've seen you here and you're healed. This is wonderful. But instead, all they can, what are you doing carrying your bed? That's not lawful. (laughs) See, that's why Christianity isn't a religion. Religion is about lots of rules, lots of regulations, lots of doing things on the (laughs) right way, on the right day, and so on and so forth. Because these are the religious leaders at the time that are giving this guy a hard time. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. You know? The fellow that healed me said I should do it, so I wasn't going to argue with them. You know? If he was good enough to heal me, at least I could do was make my bed and get out of here. Verse 12. Then asked they him, what man is it that said that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not, knew not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Jesus had left, and there was a big crowd, and nobody saw where he went. Afterward, Jesus findeth him, that man that was healed in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Because the consequences for sin, according to the law, was oftentimes sickness. And so Jesus Christ told the man to not sin so that something else didn't happen to him. Verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done this terrible thing of healing this guy because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. For that, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Really something, isn't it? Mm. Verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. He worked, and so did his father. Who was his father? God. God. He couldn't have done this on his own. It was God who wanted it done. It was with the power of God that he did it. He never did anything of his own but what the father told him to do. And he said, my father works on the Sabbath, and so do I. Verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Well, was God his father? Yes. 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 Is God our father? Yeah. So if that made him equal with God, I guess that makes us equal with God. Verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Remember I said that he came to make known the Father? And the way that he did that was by speaking the words which the Father gave him to speak and doing the works that the Father gave him to do. He could do nothing of himself what the Father gave him to do. And in doing so, he showed them the Father. He was the living proof, the living example of the Father. Verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son, he loves the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. 
and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, makes them alive, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Jesus Christ was going to do that. He was going to raise people from the dead. He did it with more than one. The one that where they really just lost their minds is when he raised Lazarus up. That was like after that, they said, you know, I don't care what we got to do to get this guy put to death. We got to do it because this is just getting out of hand. Now he's raising people from the dead. Verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son that all men should honor the Father, even as they honor the Son. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. And now, in this section, he's going to talk about honor. He's beginning to talk here about honor. And he's talking about the Son honoring the Father, and if, they, and if people want to honor the Father, if they want to honor God, then they have to honor the Son. And the question that's really going to become very apparent is who are these people interested in honoring? And who are they concerned about receiving honor from themselves? Are they concerned about what God thinks of them and God thinking highly of them? Or are they going to be concerned about just other people thinking highly of them? Are they concerned about thinking highly of God or just thinking highly of one another? That's what's going to be discussed here. Verse 24. Verily, verily, which means truly, truly, I say unto thee, unto you, he that hears my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's pretty clear cut, isn't it? That's pretty simple. He that hears his word and believes on him is passed from death unto life. It doesn't say, he that's kind of a nice guy, if you're kind of a good guy, then, you know, you pass from death unto life. That's not what he said. He didn't say, he that never makes a mistake is going to receive life. He didn't say, he that confesses all his sins. He said, he that believeth on him is passed from death unto life. It's as simple as in Romans 10, 10, 9, where it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's it. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what he said. Now, if I say those words, it's not, I can say them, but they're not my words. And if somebody has a problem with that, then they got a problem with the one that first said, I'm not the guy that repeated the message, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ said it. He said it. He didn't say, well, believe on whoever you want. You know, believe on, on Buddha, believe on Muhammad, believe on whoever, and if you're a good guy, and if you believe in something, well, then you, then you got it. That's not what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6, I think. It's in there. You can find it. Verse 25. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all they would... Uh, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation or judgment. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which, sent, which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He, speaking of John, was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, and the Father hath sent me. They had listened to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had spoken of one that would come after him. And John the Baptist spoke about Jesus Christ, and when he came along, he said, there is the one that I spoke of. And yet, Jesus Christ said it wasn't John's testimony of him that was the proof of who he was, and it wasn't just any man's testimony of him that was the reason why he should be honored, recognized, and believed on, but rather because of the Father himself and the works that Jesus Christ did, which proved that he was from the Father. Mm. Verse 36. But I have greater witness than that of John for the works that the Father which given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. You haven't heard his voice, you haven't seen his shape. But Jesus Christ heard his voice. Jesus Christ knew the Father. They said that they knew the Father. They said they spoke for God, but they didn't. Jesus Christ did. It's not in what people say, but it's in what they do. Jesus Christ not only said it, he lived it. He walked with God's power. He walked with God's love. He wasn't there looking to just give people a hard time. He was there healing people. He was there helping people. Verse 38. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. Search the scriptures, you think you have eternal life in them. And they thought they had eternal life because they followed the law. They thought that they were doing the scriptures because they were not only so legalistic that they did the law, they made up extra law on top of it. But they didn't believe on him. 
And that's what the scriptures were really about. That's what the whole word of God's really about. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about talking about this coming Savior and what he would do. Yeah, the law had its purpose, but the law itself wasn't the end all. It was about getting to the point of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, those scriptures, those testify of me. If you want eternal life, search the scriptures and see what they have to say about me. Verse 40, you will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him he shall receive. <laughs> if somebody comes in his own name, glorifying himself, oh, him you'll listen to. But Jesus Christ didn't glorify himself. He came to glorify the Father. Verse 44, How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? <laughs> They couldn't believe because they were too concerned about getting honor from each other rather than the honor that comes from God. That's the honor we want to seek. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't. You know, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. You know, it's nice to have people think nice of you. You know, if you're a musician and some kids say, oh, that was great, wonderful. Okay, that's nice. But if Eric Clapton says, wow, that was great. That means more to you, right? Because you really respect him as a musician. Well, God's opinion of us has a lot more worth than any person's. We'll finish it. Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, as there is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? They didn't believe Moses because Moses spoke of him. And if they didn't believe it when Moses said it, they weren't going to believe it when he said it. But when we do believe, then we have life eternal. Bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.